Hello, welcome to the Big Scuba Show. Okay, hello everyone. My name is uh, Chris Lemons. I am a, uh, or was certainly a commercial um, saturation diver, now a commercial uh, diving supervisor. And uh, yeah, I'm here on the uh, the Big Scuba podcast with great pleasure to talk about, uh, I guess, um, what I do for a living and also probably, I suspect, to detail incidents uh, or uh, details of an incident which happened to me back in 2012 yeah where i got left on the bottom of the north sea with with nothing to breathe i guess yeah hello and welcome to the big scuba podcast my name is ian i am your dive master for this episode and with me sitting next to me today is oh, you're so honest Gemma. hello <laughs> so we've just been recording and uh we've just been speaking to uh hayley adlam yes. who's our entry our uk entry into miss scuba international yes so uh and uh, we'll say thank you uh for hayley for her time um that's coming up uh, coming up on this episode, though, we're talking to Chris Lemons. Yep. So Chris Last Lemons breath. is known for being uh, the guy behind The Last Breath. He, yes. He was the commercial diver. Um, Have you seen the film? Yes. Yeah. And uh, worth having a look at the film. And uh, if you haven't seen it um, already, it's, it's been on uh, BBC and I think it's on YouTube. And Netflix. Netflix. Um, it's been been out a while now is that because that happened he had his um what would you call it an incident. Accident, incident yeah 2012 so it's been a bit a while yes yes yeah, so it's quite a long time ago but yeah so we have quite a, a long conversation with chris lemons but it's just an amazing story and yeah he's really great to talk to you yeah today. i wanted to talk to chris so that's you know to find out you know what happened and uh mm. obviously seeing the film was one part but actually speaking to the man himself is you know something else isn't yeah it? and if you haven't watched the film the film actually has real time footage of, yeah. of chris underwater um so it is yeah pretty um amazing to watch um, pretty amazing that he was back in the water within a couple of weeks yeah, as well. Yeah. So he tells us all about his uh, work as a saturation diver. And if you don't know what a saturation diver is, you're about to find out. Yeah, you certainly are. Uh, before we do that, we need to give a few shouts out. Um, BZAC, 75, you know. Mm, yes. How cool is that? So Good, isn't it? Long time. Congratulations yeah. to them. Uh, we need to say congratulations to another anniversary and uh, another diving agency, Global Underwater Explorers, uh, 25. Hmm. So, so that's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. Young. Young in comparison, but, you know, they, um, you know, they spend a lot of time uh, building up their uh, instructors and mm. uh, a different way of diving because a lot of their divers particularly into uh, caving. Yeah. Um, and, uh you know, tech diving. So yeah, it's um that's that's really good that they're, you know, still yeah. going and building up numbers. And they are one agency of quite a quite few. few. Yeah, so um there are there are lots of agencies out there um who you can learn with. Um they've all got their different strengths. Yeah. Um yeah. So it really obviously depends. Different strengths and different styles. Really. Different styles. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, so yeah. But... yeah. So if you're thinking about learning to dive or maybe yeah, there are lots of crossovers between the agencies as well. So yeah, there is a lot of similarities, you know, in different ways they're doing it. And uh, then you've got people like um United uh UTD, yes, uh United Tech Divers who 
teach everything from being uh, neutrally buoyant, buoyant. Yeah. right from the yeah. start. And some of the first goes of that. So, uh, yeah, there is lots of stuff out there. Um, the other thing I want to say as well, I want to say thank you to Fourth Element. Fourth Element have very kindly sent over a uh, seeker mask mm. uh, for me to have a try on. And uh, so I got got that for a couple of weeks. So uh, um, need to do, I should be in the water this weekend because I'm dive mastering for uh, Crystal Sea Scuba at yes. Stony. Uh, I should be, the flag will be up. We'll have a usual array of Narked at 90 uh, slap straps and some Narked at 90 vouchers for you as well. So come and say hello. I can't stop chat too long because obviously I'll be, on duty for crystal seas but uh, please do come say hello yeah but there will be other opportunities um where we'll be back at stony cove so just look out for the flag and yeah, keep, we'll an eye, hello. keep an eye yeah. on social media uh, we always say when we're going to be there and uh, come and say hello yeah always good uh but thanks to fourth element for uh lending us a uh a seeker mask so uh, love the look of it um i did dive um in uh last weekend but we only did uh one dive because mm. uh well uh honey was cold so uh, yeah. it was chilly so what will he be diving in tomorrow uh sigmas tomorrow no try see oh oh no you'll make a decision when you get there probably will but i'm thinking it's going to be only be about eight or ten degrees tomorrow so probably will and be it's going to be a bit damp dry so it's going to be warmer in the water tomorrow so mm. i should probably be in dry suit back in the 03 yes yeah same three drive suit so uh, yeah uh busy month on the dime so diving this weekend at stony um uh, and then back up at stony on the 15th for a uh rebreather tr- on a ap inspiration try dive try dive mm-hmm. um so looking forward to that um look forward to that so it should be good yeah so that's on the 15th yeah and then we'll get back in the water at some point and uh yeah well definitely towards the end of the month um we'll be going on a little road trip somewhere i'm sure oh yeah yeah we should actually mention it as well shouldn't we yeah. so uh so ford um usually uh support us um a couple of times through the year which is really cool and um we have got a brand new ford ranger wild track mm-hmm. uh, for a few days and uh i did ask if we could keep it but they said no for a few I days you might we keep it a bit longer than a few days yeah but we'll sort something out and uh yeah we'll take it on a road trip and yeah. combine it with some diving some paddle boarding um and see what else we can get up to yeah yeah, yeah as long as the weather plays uh well. We've got a roadworthy vehicle to get us through all extremes of weather. Yeah. We? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's everything um, we've got coming up, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think that's kind of covered everything. Uh, don't forget to, if you've got any uh, guest suggestions, always let us have them. Um, but really, I think that's kind of it. Yeah. So I think we'll get Chris Lemons on. Yeah, this is it. episode 163, Chris Lemons, Last Breath. And thank Speaker. goodness you made it back. That's all we've got to say. Yeah, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Is that what we've done? That, yeah. yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. And goodbye. <laughs> no, not that's yet. Result, we've got questions. <laughs> we've got questions for you. So, um, you know, thank you very much for joining us. We know you're busy and, um, you you know, you, you get asked for media appearances and things like that all the time. So, uh, you know, we you know appreciate you coming on and uh, joining us for uh, this evening. Pleasure, yeah. 
You know, we always ask, and it's always good to get people's background um, with our guests, um, because we can't assume that everyone has heard and um, you know about your 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 story. And uh, so, could we ask you for starters? You know, nice easy one. How did you get into diving? Who got you into diving? Yeah, so I'm. Um, I often I get asked this quite a lot, and I wish I had a better answer to be honest, a more romantic one anyway. But because um, you know, if you if you have seen the film, my sort of colleagues Dave and Duncan, they both got into diving through a or commercial diving anyway through a love of it. You know, Dave was a I think he was a scuba diving instructor out in Thailand, and uh, Duncan grew up uh, sort of slightly older generation watching Jacques Cousteau and had this you know love of the underwater world, and they both found uh, a way, I guess, to make their their passion, their vocation, if you like. But that really, um, you know, unfortunately, wasn't really the case for me. I was never really a diver before I became a commercial diver, strangely. I was just a young man uh, in my sort of very early 20s, not really too sure what to do with my life, I think, and a bit lost. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I just got the opportunity to work as a summer job, really, just to earn a bit of pocket money on the back deck of a, a DSV, which is a, a dive support vessel. And, um I so I used to literally work outside and 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 you know operate the cranes and things and send send things down to the to the divers on the seabed and um, yeah for me that was just a, it was just an eye opening moment really there was something I've sort of learned better since but it seemed quite romantic what they were doing it seemed exciting and interesting and um, yeah I think I decided there and then that that's what I wanted to they probably turned up on the quayside with better cars than me as well that probably helped. <laughs> It was definitely part of me that thought, well, that's, that was good. And for me, that that sort of gave me purpose and direction in life, really. And it was yeah. uh, it started very quickly. That's what I wanted to do and sort of followed through from there. Yeah, so I, I didn't come from a, a diving background particularly, mm. really. It was just that it's always been a vocation for me, yeah. And if, if you hadn't gone into diving, what do you think you would have done? Oh, that's a very good question. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I would have loftier ambitions when I was younger. <laughs> I wanted to be, you know, doctor or journalist or something like that i think i often think of these things, ones, but yeah yeah, yeah. we we kind of um you know channeled somewhere some might call it fate some may some may believe in religion and all that and say well you know these things come about for a certain reason and obviously you know uh you had a chance to do the the summer job and off you went and your life and you know carried on through followed that journey yeah, I think I think I'm not sure about any of that, but I, I what I do comes up is extremely lucky. You know, lucky yeah. to have found a job that I ended up really loving, but mostly lucky. I mean, it's you know you feel for youngsters if they don't have direction in life. Mm. You know, it's a tough tough thing, isn't it? It's a big it world. Yeah. It's very. I find life was far far easier once I you know I had a a goal if you like, and and I had clear direction of what, what I needed to do to get there. So yeah, yeah, but I I'm, I count myself very lucky. I, I don't know. Not quite sure how my life would have taken out <laughs> that. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So what was the training like? Was it quite arduous, or did you just throw yourself into it and get it <laughs> <up>? <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, I would never call it arduous. No, it was. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So it's a strange one, really. You kind of do it all in one go. I think so. You you start off training to be a an air diver, really. So you know, literally breathing air, as you well know. Um, so I think you do a professional scuba diving qualification to start with, and then um, I did my training in, in Dunoon in, in Scotland um, at the Professional Diving Academy, and you do your air course. I think it lasts about ten or eleven weeks or something like that at the time. And um, 
Yeah, it was great. I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it, really. It wasn't, I didn't find it massively arduous. It's, um, you're really learning the skills to to breathe underwater, which, you know, mm. it's not that hard, really, is at the end of the day. Uh, the sort of the real learning curve came once I got on the job. But in terms of the actual initial training, yeah, there was, it was more, more saving the money to be able to pay for it. I think that was the difficult bit. <laughs> the actual course itself was just, uh, it was just 10 really good, fun weeks in Danoon with a good bunch of people. So, yeah, yeah it was okay. Yeah, well, that sounds good. It's not um, not a particularly cheap course, is it, to learn for anyone who's thinking about learning? Yeah, it's an investment. It's uh, I couldn't tell you what it is right now, but it's in the yeah, certainly well over ten thousand pounds. Yeah, fifteen. I couldn't tell you right now, but yeah, it's not it's not cheap. Um, I ended up um, living in Danoon for a little bit afterwards, and we used to call it we used to call it the Dream Factory to some extent because it was you know there were a lot of people spend a lot of money to do that course uh, or, or something similar somewhere else. And, and, you know, quite frankly, don't ever work in commercial diving again. I think from the course I did, maybe three of us sort of actually saw it through out of 12, if you like. So yeah. it's a big investment. I, I, I certainly one I couldn't have afforded to have made without the security of, you know, I was reasonably confident I would get work at the other end, you know, mm. purely because I already worked in the industry really. So yeah. um, I kind of, uh, you know, I worked on deck for a few years and um, got then got pushed that way really to go and take my, air diving course so i had confidence that i could sort of you know pay the money back through through getting the work i guess so i was lucky really again but yeah i mean i was there were a lot of people who go and i'm sure don't quite make it and not necessarily because they're not any good but it's a bit sort of you know it's an industry where you you need to get through the door really and um you know once you're in it it's, it's not that bad but yeah so yeah it was um lucky again yeah. really yeah and do you see many um women doing commercial diving not a lot. Nowhere near as many as there should be. You're absolutely mm. right. Um, there are there are quite a few um, air divers, and there are quite a few in the states. And in France, I've got two or three um, female friends who 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 work in, particularly in civils diving, so inshore diving. Mm. Uh, yeah, we have uh, offshore, not so much. Uh, you do see some, but um, uh, in this, in terms of saturation diving, almost none. I think there are a couple in the US, I believe. Um, I mean, we'll come to the incident in a bit, but well, one sort of um, side story from that was that the standby diver that day was a, was a female diver uh, called Dorota, a Polish girl, who had air dived with us offshore, and it was just fun, you know, fantastic. She had she, I hundred percent had she been a man, she she fully deserved the opportunity to to go into sat, and she was sort of in the the standby diver role on on the ship is um it's almost a precursor to going in it's like something you do you know wait waiting for your opportunity really yeah. uh, and then the accident happened and they sort of decided that um you know we were having a lot of debate as to how we would manage the the logistics of her living in the chamber really it was more mm. more than you know because um you know i'm sure we'll come to that you know we live in these very close confines for a month at a time so privacy is a big issue and um you know, and people were sort of worried that their, you know, wives at home would be worried about having a female in there, all of which was nonsense, of course. You know, that, you know, it not only was, could it completely be circumnavigated and and we could have, we could have done things to protect her privacy, but also, you know, we had to, that was our, you know, that's, mm. that was the right and proper thing to do and she deserved her chance and it had to be accommodated. So, yeah, but then they, they sort of, when, um, you know, you've seen the film, Dave sort of drags me back. They, they took the decision that she wouldn't have been strong enough to do that, which, for starters was nonsense because she was a very fit girl you know and if that's a pre you know if that's a prerequisite I think 90% of my colleagues would get the sack you know because most of them wouldn't have managed either you know wouldn't be fit enough <laughs> or strong enough you know so so yeah it's very sad but yeah so nowhere near enough it's a it's a, it's, a, mm. it's something we do very badly in the offshore industry generally not just in diving uh it's a real um it's a real yeah lopsided you know in, in, in it's a very much male dominated industry and I don't say that I don't say that of any pride it's yeah it's the fact that's and the rest yeah 
but it's not a uh, industry that you know i guess it's not going to attract you know loads I, I guess you know because there's really tough conditions isn't it no i think that'd be very patronizing suggest that tough conditions are putting it off i think it's more the i think it's more the i don't really know i think it's just there's a it's just yeah, he's got a macho side to it which is completely yeah. necessary but i think it's maybe the practicalities were the only argument you could make you know that as to why we don't have enough you know lots of female engineers and so it's you know it's definitely possible but it is a life where you are away for a month at a time um you know and that's not conducive i guess to looking after kids and having a family and you know but yeah. i manage you know it just it just needs to be needs to be addressed really so yeah there's no there's no real i don't think i would never sit here and say there's a good reason or excuse um it's just Mm. quite frankly frankly not good enough you know yeah so there you go women listening out there yeah so saturation diving for people listening they might need a little bit of a explanation of what it means yeah well, it's uh, it's just really a method of diving deeper, really, isn't it? I mean, um, you guys are all divers, aren't you? I'm sure most of your listeners are as well. That so you you're aware that there are, you know when you go diving, obviously you pay a penalty in terms of the inert gases that you you absorb, um, and we we undergo decompression stops, don't we, to sort of avoid that. But uh, yeah, so I work, you know, typically in the North Sea, you're working at a hundred, maybe a hundred meters. That would be your average, maybe maybe a little bit less. Um, but you can work as deep as 150 in the North Sea, up in the north northern section. So, and also we work, we don't work for we don't go down the bottom for 30 minutes. We work six hours at six hours at a time on the seabed. Wow. So um, you know, I think if you work out, if you go down to something like uh, you know 90 meters and you do six hours, I think that the associated decompression stops would take something like five days, I think, something like that. So obviously <laughs> that's not practical on a daily no. basis. Um uh you can't obviously have a, a diver hanging on a a shot line for for five days you know he's going to get hungry and thirsty and uh and also you know in a, from a commercial perspective um mm. we operate 24 hours a day so you can't really have divers you know constantly decompressing so yeah saturation diving really is just the um a method of circumnavigating that really by basically doing one long dive i think that's probably the best way to describe it yeah and that's achieved by the use of compression chambers so which you, you'd see on a lot of scuba diving sites i hope um that you would use for you know perhaps um medicinal reasons uh, you know to, to 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 mend something um but yeah for us it's the place that the divers live so on day one you go into the chamber you you close the close the door um 12 of us normally go in so it's four four teams of three um and those chambers are compressed down to an equivalent working depth so if we're going to be working at 100 meters as an example the chambers would probably be compressed down to about nine, 90 meters um that probably take maybe an hour or two maybe just to do it slowly there's no real restriction to blowing people down apart from hpns like high, high pressure nervous um, syndrome i think they call it um but so generally it's just steady a steady press down to to 90 meters what if what if you what about your ears now if you if you're struggling with to equalize with your ears as that's taking it down yeah it's, it's much easier I've, um well, you probably should be diving. That's probably your first problem, you know. But then, secondly, it's much easier, I find, to equalise your ears in a chamber than it is in the water. And if you've mm. done any, any chamber right. dives at all, but it's a lot easier because you can just hold your nose. I did. I, I, a few um, a few years ago, I did the what the chamber up in Yorkshire, mm. and um, we did a hard hat dive mm. um, as well. And I was fine, and he was he was taking us down. Um, I forget now, maybe thirty five, maybe forty. Yeah. And um, 
I struggled to equalize after about 20 okay. to 25 and yeah. didn't have a cold or anything, but it did, I did struggle yeah. to, in fact, I had to get, I had bow after about 30 meters. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, if it's a, if it's a problem, you can always, you know, you can always stop the compression. Mm-hmm. It's never an yeah. issue really. You know, you couldn't come out, but I've never, ever seen it, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, obviously you get a full medical before you're going in. So, you know, hopefully any sort of colds will be ironed out and you should certainly be declaring those kind of things, but yeah. Yeah, I mean it's the same as you know exactly the same as going down in that chamber that day. It's you know you can you can put a stop to it and um, come out of it. But yeah, yeah. Um, so your voice, you get the high pitched voice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so another part, absolutely right. Yes, yeah, so another part of it is that obviously is uh, you know your uh, nitrogen narcosis is obviously a problem at that kind of depth. So that's that's circumnavigated by breathing heliox. Yeah, so we breathe. Mm helium oxygen mix yeah which gives you that uh, stupid voice but it's almost it's often more than that i think when you get when you get compressed down because you can you breathe in heliox at you know 10 meters you're quite intelligible but you go down to 100 and very very difficult to understand people i think your vocal cords must get constricted or restricted a bit as well you know so i don't know it changes the tone as it comes out but it's yeah it's really it's a real pain so that kind of high pitch like we hear when you know people take helium balloons that stays with you right through your whole saturations during- yeah, yeah yeah it's a weird thing yeah it's um you don't really notice <laughs> you're in there strangely yeah it's, it's only when you come out because literally you're sort of um you know you can count down from 10 as you're getting out of the chamber and you have a squeaky voice through a five and as soon as you step outside it goes what <laughs> i find is you know you come out in your team of three you know you might have only just met them as you go in you know and you come out having spent spent a month in very intimate confines with 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 people <laughs> Bloody hell, you're a scouser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you just don't hear the accent, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing, though, because 12 people get forced into a tube to yeah. have to get on with each other for, for a whole month. Yeah, I think I think that's the skill of the job. I mean, the diving, yeah. quite frankly, is the easy bit. It's the uh, it's the release every day, you know, that you get out and stretch your legs and, and do something. But, yeah, the real... the real difficulty in the job probably is exactly that, is living in very close confines with... Um, you know other people and people you might not necessarily get on with you know and um you know living with anybody in those kind of confines is quite hard isn't it but so typically how big's the chamber uh they vary a bit but yeah i would say typical one uh, is maybe just under two meters high or circumference so um you know i can't quite stand up in them normally and then lengthwise maybe maybe eight meters nine meters long gosh perhaps wow. really so you got uh, you know they normally the, the varies but some some of what we call three men chambers or some of six so you might have six six people living in there and you know bunks right next to each other you're probably sleeping maybe uh to 12 inches apart you know and then you have a little seating area with a sort of picnic table almost and a couple of benches and that that's it that that really is your world for for 28 days in a row we're sort of limited legally to 28 days in in uk waters anyway um yeah and you you know there, there are a series of these linked together so you have a sort of wet pot where the diving bell comes onto as well and you can have a shower in there and you know maybe stretch and do a few press-ups or something but there's not much yet it's uh it's a that's yeah as i said that's probably the skill of the job is living in there yeah wow yeah, yeah. and i think even to like tune your mind into being in that position in over a month is incredible mentally as well yeah yeah, I think I think yeah again I think that's the hard bit. It's um mm-hmm. yeah, it's not just being yeah psychologically able to to live in that in you know obviously you don't want to be claustrophobic or anything like that. But it's more the fact that you there is no there's no escape. You know the the, the minute that door is shut and you are blown down to a hundred meters, 
you know, those five days of decompression that we mentioned earlier, they, they can't be circumnavigated. You know, if, you're, if your mother dies, if you, if you break your leg, if your appendix bursts, you're still going through those five days of decompression, whatever, you know. So you need to be yeah. someone who can deal with that psychologically. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's not like I always sort of say it's not like, you know, having a bad, if you, if you do it for the first time and you don't like it, you know, you've got a problem because you have a bad first day at the post office, you can sort of hand your uniform back and, it. you know, and, and it's okay, you know, but there, there is, there is no, there is no escape. You know, you're, you're, once you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you get fed? Do you, do they put it in like a chamber and pass it through? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is so there are locks basically. Yeah. So uh, air locks, well, helium yeah, locks. Yeah. yeah so um, yeah, just exactly that. So you can have a little lock, which you can equalize to the outside world and, uh, for food, we just get um, yeah menu in every day, and you uh, you sort of tick in the, tick what you want and send it back out, and uh, and then your food comes in on little little metal trays. So I've had plenty of Christmas dinners, uh, you know, with on a foil tray on my lap in there. Um, yeah, and they there you know we we have a team of you know this we we put three divers on the seabed or two divers and one in the diving bell every day. But there's 110 people on board. There's a massive wow. sort of support network of of uh, the marine crew and then the then what we call the life support crew mm. who. Uh, who are obviously in charge of your gases and, uh, you know, making sure you don't die on that front and then the humidity in the chamber and, uh, um, and all the rest of it, but also they're in charge of the day-to-day logistics of, of people living in, in somewhere. So they do your washing for you and, um, you know, uh, flush the toilet for you quite literally. Yeah. There's no, yeah, literally. So (laughs) yeah, it's, um, yeah. What about communication with the outside world? It's got better. It used to be hard. I mean, we can sort of talk on intercoms and you do have a phone in there, but with the internet now, you tend to, you can text a bit and stuff like that now. Uh, the internet, just quite the, the quality of the internet really is a defining factor, but yeah. uh, it's hard to make a phone call to do something practical, you know, like ring the, if you want to ring the bank manager, that can be pretty difficult, you know? So you definitely need to get your, try and get your life squared with, away. Before with you... the news, wouldn't you want the news kind of filtered? Because you're thinking of like human factors and that, if somebody is like, got you know hear some news while they're in the chamber yeah you know that could um knock their concentration while they're going into to do the job and things like that so does would would it be would you have to be really careful about what you find out while you're in the chamber yeah potentially. you can't do anything anyway yeah you do i mean it's, it's difficult yeah now i mean back in you know back in in the olden days, the only sort of uh, the only communication they had would be a, a fax or something outside, you know. So they'd write a letter, and it, you know everybody outside would read it first, and then send it off to your to your wife or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, nowadays with the internet, you know, it's the same as anywhere else. You know, you get you get your news straight away via text messages. But it's definitely a thing. I mean, people, you know, at the end of the day, you can be, you know, if we're working regularly year round, we can you can be in those chambers six months of the year. So life goes on, you know, and mm-hmm. things happen. So, you know, I've been in there plenty of times when somebody's parents have died and uh yeah you're absolutely right it's it's got to be managed to some extent but what you know there's compassion you know there's there's if somebody's parent has died then you know you probably wouldn't send them in the water they would just we would just yeah. need a team of three come out and and they'd usually get a helicopter and take people home you know for that so but yeah something in between is difficult yeah and, that, and that's mm-hmm. part of the job you know we you have to deal with the everyday stresses of life which we all have and you know, arguments you might be having with people at home or press, you know, financial pressures or whatever they are. And uh, particularly as it's such a microcosm of a place to live, you know, these things all get exacerbated, I think. So, mm. um, yeah, you, well, again, you just need to be someone who can deal with that well, I guess, and switch off and get on with the job and, and yeah. do it safely. But, yeah, and you, and you watch out for each other if you feel someone's 
you know, in a bad place, then you maybe need to say something or help them out or do something about it, I guess. You think there's a future in the role? Because with more and more, you know, like uh, use of robots and ROVs and AI and all this sort of stuff, do you think, you know, they'll use more and more of that? Or do you think there'll always be a place for uh, commercial divers, uh, you know, doing the things that the robots can't? Yeah, offshore, I think, yeah, long term, yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't there probably isn't that place really. I mean, there is the the remotely operated vehicles they use now are phenomenal. You know, they can they can do very mind-blowingly intricate tasks. You know, we used to cling on to the fact that, you know, there's quite a lot that the human hand can do and access that that a, a robot can't, I guess, but that's becoming less and less the case. Um yeah. A lot of it requires design, though. So, uh, you know, we work on oil wells, obviously, and manifolds and hydraulics and electronics, subsea. And um, most of those have been designed and badly designed often just to be accessed by a diver. So they're not very well engineered. But, you know, when they build a new oil field now, you know, a lot of them are installed with that very thing in mind that they can they can be uh, maintained or tested or have things, you know, whole whole instead of just changing a bit of pipe work, they just change a whole block out with an ROV and, yeah, so it's the day that day is coming. You know, I, don't, I will see my career out, and you know, maybe maybe another generation. But that, beyond that, yeah, I think mm. it's days are numbered, and and rightly so. You know, quite frankly, the safest. You know, it's a dangerous business to some extent, and um, you know, the safest thing to do at the end of the day is not put a diver in the water. So if we can get to a point where that's possible, then yeah, it's a shame for those of us involved. But you know, it, it's probably the safer way of doing things. Yeah. We had uh, Bobby Sholly on uh, Friday. Um, who's um, a retired U.S. captain and uh, spent a lot of time um, with uh, re- like re- uh, naval recoveries work and things like that. And she was telling us she was at a uh, conference last week and uh, th- the technology on show, she said, was really quite, you know, am- amazing to see some of the new stuff and the communications and everything there you know, where all this money's been spent, as she was saying, it's really quite amazing to see, you know, where it's going. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I work for my sins in the oil and gas industry, and, uh, you know, there's no shortage of money in that industry. So it's it's certainly from a diving perspective, you're quite lucky, really, and that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's not a, it's not a consideration, but we're lucky in terms of the equipment we get to use. But yeah, yeah. even on that, with the yeah, with the robotic side of things, the ROV side of things, that they're really, I would say, probably at the forefront of all of that. So yeah. they use some fantastic stuff, and you know, um, yeah, the, the stuff they can do now is is yeah, quite frightening, really. <laughs> <For the> <laughs> <laughs> you remember your like your first dive, like you know, when you first. I can. Ju- I'm just trying to picture myself in your place. That we, it, you know, it, when you um, qualified and. Uh, because do they take you down to shallow depths first or do they say, right, you've got your ticket. Uh, we've got this job out in the Red Sea or the North Sea and um, you sign up to whatever needs to be done. Well, you, you qualify as an air diver first. So as an air diver, yeah. you're restricted to, to 50 metres um, and you have to do so many. I mean, this, this criteria, but basically do so many years doing so that. So you have to start with, that. yeah. But going down to 50 meters on air pretty rare in in the commercial sense you know you mm-hmm. won't really 
that's usually done in sap because it's just more efficient yeah. uh, so you tend to be diving fairly shallow you're doing the shallow jobs really on usually on rigs themselves um uh so yeah i mean i thought you know it's quite rare you went but on about 30 meters as a commercial diver to start with so it does happen you know it depends where you are in the world but yeah effectively you are that's it you, you're you're open uh, it's open season really and they're not really that mindful of you being a new diver particularly that's been exciting on the first one you know you think wow you know uh, you know, yeah it's more terrifying i think probably more exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but yes it is, it is i mean it's um yeah it's kind of a it's kind of an intimidating place to be i think so because yeah, yeah. you know so I, yeah i mean my, my first sort of offshore air dive i mean i'd worked on diving boats before so i kind of knew what to expect but i'd imagine if you've never done it before it would be mm. you know, suddenly you stood there surrounded by a lot of people you feel a lot of pressure you know it's a very expensive business you know our, our boat's something like two hundred thousand pounds a day to rent you know by an oil company and all of a sudden you're the only pair of hands doing any work so you feel you know you feel that side of pressure and you know you're underneath literally the pressure middle of the middle of the night looking up at this enormous oil rig and a rough sea below and you're thinking, you know, oh, what, what am I doing? Was the, the times when you're like looking around, and you're like, wow, you know, I yeah. am under the North Sea here. Yeah, I think at the start, yeah, I mean, that definitely wears off, but yeah, it's just uh, yeah. <laughs> impressive about it, really. It's just another place to work, really. But yeah, yeah it's, uh, yeah, definitely at the start, it's sort of had a yeah romance to it. And yeah, it's see anything interesting? But anything then, interesting sort of you saw and you think, wow, look at, you know, uh, sub seeming, yeah. And, um, it's not it's not um it's to be honest because of where i work certainly in terms of wildlife and things you know it's not it's not pretty you know because you know drill mud and things like that it's not mm, a great yeah. life so we see you know you've got a beautiful seal behind you so we see a lot of that kind of thing plenty of fish and seals and you know with the odd whale and um what being inquisitive yeah, well, the seals are like dogs, I find, you know, yeah, you, you won't even know they're there sometimes. You, you, that focus, it's not like sort of scuba diving where you're, you know, you're there to look yeah. around and see things, you know, you're you're there to work. So you sort of always tend to be concentrating on what you're doing. But that's happened to me a lot of times when I'm busy working on something and I'll sort of glance to my right and there'll be a seal, you know, not looking at me, but looking at what I'm doing, you know. They're sort of a bit <laughs> like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I've also, you know, jumped out of the bell and landed way steep in a seal as well. <laughs> Been dead for quite a while. So it's not always nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've done, you know, I've had to pick helicopters off the seabed in pretty ugly circumstances. And um, yeah, it's not, um, again, I wish I had better stories in terms of uh, wildlife and things like that. Um, I worked off the west coast of Africa and stuff. So you see, you know, Barracuda and, you know, sharks, mm. Brazil and things like that. But um, uh, yeah, it's not always as pretty as you think. I, no. went to, I went to Trinidad, for example, and um, I've just, just been there recently. And um you know, it's all sorts of fantastic rays and all sorts in the water, but you can't really see them because it's so muddy, you know, so you're getting bumped by big things all the time. But you, wow. you might see the odd big eye go past you, you know, and you you wonder what it is. But <laughs> unfortunately, you don't see that much, yeah. Yeah. So the North Sea visibility is pretty... Do you, do you ever get any visibility when you're working in the North Sea? Yeah, you do on occasion, yeah. I would say 80% of the time it's pretty poor. Mm. You go further north to the deep spots, you know, really depends on the seabed you know if it's got a yeah. nice sandy seabed then yeah it's, it can be beautiful and you know i've worked in lots of nice places where there have been you know absolutely crystal clear water and you know off egypt and but you know you can work off egypt it can be beautiful and then you can work in the nile delta and it's absolutely zero visit i mean as you, as you know as the scuba divers you know it really it really depends you know uh where you are so yeah it definitely has good days and bad days but more often than not it's bad yeah you can't yeah. You're, um that's the big skill of the, one of the one of the the biggest skills of the job, I think, is being able to operate and be productive in that environment. You know, you do see a lot of divers 
mm. you know, especially now supervising, you see them go down and, you know, are really out of their element. You know, it can be great when when the going's good and you can see everything, but when the um when the visibility gets really poor, it can really sort, you know, the boys from the girls or the, the sorry the men from the boys or the uh, you know the women from the girls, if you like um yeah it can be uh really disorientating and, and it's and you, you, you always have to be conscious that you're not down there to have fun you're down there to get to do work and get a job done so yeah. if you can't operate in those conditions you're you know you're not gonna you're not gonna make it sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah. so you're well known for the famous film last breath and your incident back in 2012 infamous I would say more than (laughs) I wish wish it was something better yeah (laughs) so how long had you been doing sat diving before this incident happened I was kind of in the infancy of my sat diving career I think I'd only been doing it I think it's about a year and a half I think at that point wow so I was quite young at doing it this was um yeah this was 2012 this happened so yeah I was um yeah I was kind of relatively new to I've been diving maybe for uh, I don't know maybe eight or nine years at that point as a commercial diver um but yeah in terms of um sort of the deep saturation diving and it was just a kind of different world really particularly in terms of the types of work that you do um then it was all relatively new to me but I've been you know I've been I you know I'd done at that point I probably spent something like eight months doing you know literally in the chambers and working so I wasn't I was not a novice at it by any stretch of the imagination but yeah certainly compared to the two guys I was in with it was um yeah early days of my career if you like yeah yeah yeah. So um, obviously we've seen the film Last Breath and obviously we'd recommend people to watch it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but obviously it's a sequence of events, isn't it? And uh, you are actually on the seabed and um, there's a pretty raging storm going on up above you and the boat loses control. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, so there was it was pretty bad weather up, up on the, up, uh, up top, but it, that wasn't really a sort of causal factor, if you like, you know, that sort of exacerbated the situation. But yeah, I mean, basically, you know, to cut a long story short, in order to work on the seabed, um, you know, in one place, because we because we don't just wear a scuba tanks, we have an umbilical, you know, so we're yeah. attached. There's a big umbilical which goes down to the diving bell from the ship and then that's split three ways to the three divers. So you know, that very much is your lifeline that provides you with, you know, the gas you need to breathe. Uh, it gives you hot water. We sort of wear loose fitting hot water suits and just pump like a, they're pretty basic really. They're just, um, it's almost like garden hose, you know, garden irrigation system around them, sort of hoses with little holes in and it pumps hot water around you. But once you've done it once, you'll never go back because it's like being in a jacuzzi. It's very pleasant, you know, way to dive, you know, and you haven't got any of these sort of the awkwardness of a dry suit or anything like that you know so that's a good way so yeah it gives you that and then you have a power cable for sort of uh, light and a camera on your helmet so it really is gives you everything you need to survive down there long term you know um but because you're attached to the vessel effectively uh, the, uh and also because you're working and using cranes and things like that you need the vessel to stay in one place geographically yeah. so it does that using what they call a dynamic positioning system which is just a series of references it's um we put beacons on the seabed it, it uses gps um there are what they call taut wires which are basically weighted lines and their sort of angle of inclination back to the ship tells the computers on board really what the vessel's doing and all this information gets fed back to these central computers and then it instructs various thrusters, you know, big propellers around the boat to counteract the effect of the wind and the waves yeah. and the tide and basically hold the boat in one place, um, which it does really, really amazingly, you know, within, you know, a metre or so really of a geographical location in pretty bad weather. You know, you can be on the seabed with, you know, 20 tonne load on a crane and uh, I can say, you know, move 
seven meters on 43 degrees and it will very serenely do that you know even wow. in three or four meter really? seas yeah so it's, so it's a really good system you know, when it works obviously um but yeah that night really they just suffered a catastrophic failure of that system uh, it's a system that has multiple backups you know it's never supposed to have a, a single point failure like it did but that was a lesson in itself so we we had a, a failure of this and yeah it really meant all the navigation systems on the bridge went black and they exactly as you say they just lost complete control of the vessel and suddenly we're at the mercy of the wind and the waves and and so the the boat just started to drift away pretty quickly with us being dragged along behind it really yeah yeah so did you have any indication of something happening immediately while you were working away yeah, well, so we, we, I was working with uh, two of us in the water, Dave, Uasa uh, and I, we were sort of tucked right inside a manifold, which was just a big set of, uh, it was a well manifold, I think, yeah, so um, a drilling template or whatever. It's like a thing the size of a house, basically. We were in the middle of it. Um, and we have an open line of communication to a dive supervisor, so he gives us all our instructions uh, in an earpiece. And um, we heard, yeah, they have alarms, so they have alarms when this system has issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we heard them in the background, but, you know, we hear alarms all the time um, because you've got this open line of communication. You can hear there's O2 alarms up in dive control, CO2 alarms. They could be testing the dynamic positioning alarms on the other side and we have a second diving bell. So they might be testing them. So you hear them all the time. And you don't think too much of it. So we definitely heard them and thought, oh, you know, something. Um, but it didn't sort of frighten us, if you like. But then very quickly, our dive supervisor, Craig, was saying, you know, you need to get out of the structure and get back on top and get back to the diving bell. And he didn't really explain why, but it was just something I think in his tone of voice, which told us, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a drill. There was there was something going down, you know. But we didn't we didn't really panic at that stage. Yeah, we didn't know quite how serious it was going to be at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by Knocked at Ninety. So let's find out a bit more about them. Knocked at Ninety, their tagline has been beyond technical, which describes them pretty well. John Routley and Brent Hudson launched the company over 20 years ago. They are both technical divers who have logged thousands of mixed gas dives between them over a 30-year period. Using their engineering know-how and diving expertise have developed bespoke personal, commercial and military diving equipment and products of a universally recognised unparalleled calibre. Their ability to be adaptive and versatile with their developments led them to support the NHS during COVID. Using their superior knowledge of breathing and oxygen monitoring systems to help develop emergency ventilators. They also design and supply the sneaky stuff used by defence based development groups throughout the Western world, although they can't tell us much about that. If you're thinking of moving across to tech diving or completely new to diving, Narked at 90 can advise and guide on the best equipment and setup for your personal or commercial requirements. Narked at 90 have unparalleled experience of shearwater dive computers and are the longest serving and sole and UK European service centre for those. They are happy to offer technical support, servicing, repairs and upgrades to all shearwater computers past and present. Narked at 90 stock shearwater computers but are also stockers and technical support centre for many other manufacturers including Divesoft, JJCCR, Hollis, Revo and Kiss Rebreathers. Based centrally in the UK, Narked at 90 also offer full rebreather head servicing for selected manufacturers. Bespoke cable assemblies. 
advice on specific fitting requirements, suggestions and guidance for home builds, computer laser cutting and engraving, pressure testing to simulate 400 metre dives. So, Narked at 90, a reputation built on supporting both manufacturers and divers worldwide. Go to narkedat90.com and make sure you are following their social media to keep up to date with their latest news and offers. Narked at 90, large enough to cope, small enough to care. And then um, what happened? It started dragging you. Yeah, so we're both inside. So we have um, you have about 50 metres of umbilical that comes out of the diving bell. Yeah. Um, and the diving bell was sat in sort of one location, really, and our umbilicals were running straight into the structure that we were working in. And as we came out of the structure, fully expecting to see the diving bell sort of right in front of us, uh, where we'd left it effectively, um, we came out to find it wasn't there because the vessel was moving off in a was a sort of southeasterly direction. Um, and our umbilicals, instead of running out in front of us, were then draped. We found we came out to find them draped back over the top of the structure we've been working inside. So this thing's yeah. about eleven meters high. Wow! And in that in, in that situation, you know, in saturation diving generally, there is only one safe haven. You know, the only you can't go to the surface. You know, that's that's instant death basically for reasons you well understand. You know, um, you know, your only safe place to go is your only breathable environment is a diving bell. So yeah. you know, the only way you get to that is you follow your umbilical. So we both just turn to follow umbilicals, which meant climbing, climbing them to get to the top of the structure to see if we could see where the, the bell was. So we both did that. Uh, Dave was just on my left and I got to the top. And as I'm doing that, you know, we preach what we call umbilical management in, in commercial diving because that is your lifeline. So it's absolutely vital, but you you take care of that all the time. You're always conscious of where it is. You're mm-hmm. absolutely making sure it never catches on anything. Um, you know, I've got a bit unlucky, I guess. And, you know, all these things were very easy in hindsight, but yeah, I, I had to use two hands to climb it. And when I got to the top, I've obviously left a bit of a loop behind me. And I've turned to really clear that to make sure it doesn't get caught on anything. But you know, really what happened, the vessel was moving away that fast, but that loop had just tightened on me and got caught around uh, uh, the transponder bucket was, but just a metal outcrop on the side of that, um, yeah. on the side of that structure. Uh, and it just looped underneath this tiny gap about an inch wide and stuck fast, really. And uh, that was the point. I didn't really, I hadn't really, you know, we were thinking too much about it and weren't panicking too much. But I think the, the instant that happened, which was very, very quick, in the film, it sort of belies it. I think they looped the footage a bit, you know, it was really fast. And uh, I knew straight away I was in serious trouble, you know, real trouble. Because effectively, at that point, I've become an anchor to 8,000 tonnes of... <laughs> of ship you know and there's yeah. only really going to be one winner in that situation isn't it yeah <laughs> that's a frightening thought isn't it <laughs> just yeah it was it was yeah it was um it was i mean it wasn't again about i don't think you're really thinking too much it's just all you're doing is trying to save yourself in that situation it's just you know fight or flight i guess and um it sort of it didn't break straight away, but the umbilical really just started to stretch and creak and pull away. And uh, Dave, my colleague, was just trying desperately to, to get back and help me. And we had this little moment where we were just a couple of metres away and sort of looked into each other's eyes. But because he only had 50 metres of umbilical, we, he couldn't quite get too many. He just got pulled away into the, the darkness and I lost sight of him and I could just see his light. And then that faded and you know, he got pulled away and he was in no sort of danger himself. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, just stretched and stretched. And um, I remember thinking <clears throat> I wasn't really that worried about the umbilical stranger because it was actually slipping around this gap. Um, and it, it, the umbilicals attached to us by a sort of carabiner into a harness on our hip. So as it's pulling down, I'm getting pulled with it. 
and my legs were sort of splaying. And I remember thinking, first of all, thinking, well, my legs are going to going to break here, you know, and this is going to be this is going to be sore. And then secondly, I thought, well, hang on, it's slipping and it's going, my umbilical's going through this very small gap. And I thought, well, if that keeps slipping, I'm going through that gap too, you know, and it's going to be like being pulled through a cheese grater, you know, it's just not going to be, a, it's not going to be a pleasant end. Um, but then eventually it, it sort of, you know, luckily in, a, in in many ways, it stopped slipping and just really caught fast. And that's when it really started to stretch. And then, yeah, eventually with a sort of gunshot, uh, gunshot sound, it, um, it snapped and, mm. Yeah, I sort of fell back down the eleven meters back to the seabed on my on my back. Yeah, I mean, you can. It's almost like being in space, isn't it? Like with an umbilical cord and. Like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a very flattering analogy, the old astronaut one. Yeah, because you know you need to be able to tie your own shoelaces to go into space, don't you? Whereas that's not really a prerequisite to be a, <laughs> a commercial diver. But yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, we we sort of make the comparison sometimes that you're in a place you know it's quicker to get back from the moon than it is to you know decompress from. Yeah. So, yeah, you are. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the biggest difference when that snapped really was that, you know, you're really going from a world where you've got an infinite supply of gas. You know, we we keep gas on the boat and, uh, you know, there's probably enough in there to keep two divers on a seabed from, you know, a couple of months if you needed to. And you not you haven't got any decompression considerations because you're already saturated with inert gas, you know. So theoretically, you could stay down there for ages. But once that snapped, you know, then you've gone from a world of, you know, essentially infinite gas to one where I have a very finite amount, you know, so that, at that point I've had to switch on the emergency supplies, which are just, a, I think it was a twin set, two seven litre bottles, I think it was. Um, so, oh, four, so that's going to go pretty quick. Yeah. And yeah, no, I was 91 metres down that night. So um, I think it's 14 litres. I think they had 300 bar in there, something like that. They were pretty full. Um, so I think, yeah, if you watch the film, it sort of makes a big deal of five minutes, but actually I mean, it depends. I don't know what kind of breathing rate calculations you guys use, but you know, offshore, IMCA use about 40 litres a minute, if you like, and in an emergency, which you probably don't really use, but that give you nine minutes right there. So, um, yeah, but basically not much gas left at all. Um, and, yeah, but that's that's it. And then, then the only safe, safe haven being the, the diving bell. So I hadn't, you know, effectively had nine minutes to get back in that, in that yeah. bell, yeah. So um, you've lost light, you've lost your hot water system. So you, if you're just sitting on the seabed with getting cold. Yeah, in the dark. Really weird. I don't remember the cold. Yeah, I always I've liked to. Th- I tell the story like, like I feel like I remember everything really well. You know, I have a pretty lucid memory of it all. But uh, I don't remember getting cold at all, which is strange because I would have been. But your I, adrenaline would be kicking in, wouldn't it? I guess it must have been. Yeah, and your body maybe just finds a way to switch off unnecessary inputs. Almost, you know, because mm-hmm. you know we we've got like a valve, a quarter turn valve on the side of our hot water suits. Because often being hot is the problem too hot you know so you can sort yeah. of dump some and you know if you turn it right off or if you you know you turn your mates off for a laugh they get cold in it's pretty instant you know and, and you know straight away you're freezing 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 cold i think it's about four degrees down there that time of year it was yeah. um yeah it was september or something like that um so um yeah but i don't remember that at all you know it's just yeah i don't know maybe that maybe my memory's not as good as it is or as you say and it's maybe just and then it's you know you're in the darkness so there's no way of getting any light at all to see what you're doing yeah, no, some lads carry a torch. I never did at that time. It didn't ever really seem necessary. Um, but yeah, but it was really out, most unbelievable darkness. Yeah, really, really pitch, pitch black. I couldn't even make out the shadow of my hand, you know. Um, we've got like a contents gauge, obviously, for our bailouts. I couldn't even see that, which in itself was probably but a good thing. What led you to find it? To find, to find, to find the diving bell. What led you to 
Well, I never did. I never did. Yeah. I mean, I was, I sort of got up off of my back and I'd probably fallen a couple of meters away from the structure I'd been Mm. on working in. Yeah. So at that point, I'm just thinking, just need to find that structure, climb to the top and see if I can see the diving bell. Um, But it was so dark. I just absolutely know, you know, become disorientated straight away. And this, this, it's pretty massive, you know, but um, I could have very easily just turned and gone in the other direction. So I just got very lucky, really. I sort of put my hands out like I was going to the toilet in the middle of the night and took a couple of steps and bumped into it. But even when I hit it, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. Um, Yeah. And I sort of edged my way along it. I remember being very scared that I would, I would lose, you know, I would lose touch with it, you know. Mm. Uh, So I was sort of of walking along it feeling, and then I managed to find an old hose to climb up to get to the top and, that was a seminal moment for me really when I got to the top and, you know, looked up, I think really fully expecting to see the diving bell or to see Dave coming back to get me or something like that. And I looked up and it was just nothing, you know, it was completely and utterly black and uh, dark, you know, not a speck of light in the sea above me. Uh, yeah. And I think that's the point at which I thought, you know, it went, I thought I yeah, went from being scared to thinking, you know, this is, this is now, this is life threatening, you know, I'm, mm. I'm probably not going to make it out. I remember getting to the middle of the structure, sort of crawling along and, uh, you know, gripping it, worried it was a little bit of current, you know, worried I was going to get blown off it and, you know, looking up and thinking, calming down a bit and, you know, maybe roughly doing the maths, thinking, oh, I've got, you know, just a few minutes here and it's taking me quite a bit of time and I've been breathing heavily to get up here that even if Dave was right in front of me, ready to drag me back, already I'd be cutting it fine to get my head in and the helmet off before I, you know, ran out of gas and, you know, with nobody there at all, you know, it became apparent to me pretty quick that, you know, that I certainly thought that this was it, you know, but that was strangely, had a strangely sort of calming effect, really. It was um, almost, I remember sort of make trying to, you know, making a conscious effort to regulate my breathing, but that almost did it for me automatically, you know, because I sort of, I won't say I gave up hope, but, you know, you certainly thought, well, you know, there's nothing I can do here, you know, I'm no. absolutely powerless. You know, I had no buoyancy either. The only buoyancy you have, is, is inflated by the gas which comes down your umbilical so I couldn't actually, I did have a you have a sort of pretty primitive buoyancy jacket on but um I had no way of inflating that you know so even if the diving bill had been there I couldn't have made a dash for it or mm. done something reckless like made a dash for the surface you know was, all I could really do was curl up in a ball and keep looking up and hoping so that yeah strangely I think really calmed my breathing down and I'm sure the cold would have played a big part in that as well you know just slowing air all my functions down slowly but surely you know um but yeah it was um yeah, yeah. Sort of strange lonely minutes obviously yeah and, and then... fit, sorry and fitness i mean i'd imagine you're very physically fit because of no, the no. you're not no? <laughs> 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 oh, you have to do a diving you have to have a certain level yeah but i wouldn't classify as athletes that's for sure you know <laughs> yeah. i don't know yeah i mean i'm yeah no i would i would make the point that i'm absolutely not Super mm. at all you know dave very very fit guy i mean I, I might do okay you know but i'm certainly not i'm not a fitness freak or anything like that you know um so i don't know yeah i don't know what what helped um the body's just a remarkable thing really you know i, I mean so obviously this you know the story goes on that i you know i do eventually run out of gas and uh and then i think it's there's something like um you know the, the vessel actually ended up nearly 250 meters away from where i was and they couldn't regain control of it. And it takes them, you know, by the time they have regained control and come back to my position, I think it's something that's basically about 40 minutes passed between my umbilical severing and yeah. and them getting me back in the bell. Yeah. 42 minutes or something like that. So, you know, if we say, let's say I managed to stretch out to 10, 12, even 15 minutes, what I had on my back, 
Um, there's still a big gap with obviously nothing to breathe. So, yeah, and I, but I'm, you know, I'm absolutely not a special specimen at all, unfortunately. It's just um, just the remarkable that, you know, what the human body is capable of tolerating and getting through, really. Yeah, but it, yeah. yeah. I don't really like the word miracle, but it does. It does. Mm. Still, yeah. still to this day, it feels it feels a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, and because of the the gas, so you, the gas on your back was that just normal air, or was it? No, so we were ninety one meters down, so we we're breathing heliox that night. So was, yeah. been, I was breathing uh, six point nine percent oxygen in my mix that night. Uh, oh, sorry, the breathing mix, but then the, on my tanks, I think it was ten percent. Mm. So I don't know if you guys are any partial pressures and that kind of thing, but I think that 10% gives you about a thousand millibars at that depth, 1,010. So one bar basically, and that's quite high. Mm. Um, and I think, again, that was a massive factor, you know, um, you know, as we all know, if you breathe 6% on the surface, it's not going to do any good, but uh, down there, that's pretty high levels of oxygen. And, um, yeah. you know, we operate, we tend to operate in around this sort of 700 mark, I would say 700 millibar mark generally when you're diving um that's what we aim for and 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 then you can go up to about 1.4 with your emergency supply 1.4 yeah. um so yeah i think that effectively saturated my tissues with oxygen and i think you know uh i couldn't have had any more oxygen in my tissues you know we've been in actual living in those conditions for several days as well so that i think that more than the cold i always assumed it was the cold that saved me but i think actually the truth is it was the gas that saved me it was the, yeah. the fact that my tissues were that saturated with oxygen that they you know they were the, the cells were able to cling on to life really and just have yeah. enough to yeah, yeah yeah and you know maybe a bit of residual in my hat that I because I've gone unconscious because I'm that cold you know I'm barely breathing at all I probably you know maybe I'll be a breath a minute you know and that's you know I may it may be that I carried on breathing you know down to a, a very limited level you know we'll, we'll never really know is the truth no you know? no yeah. you don't want to repeat it no no I'm not going to put an experience again you obviously you're here today so you did get rescued I did, yeah, yeah. they did they did get you back <laughs> so yeah. Well, yeah how did they get me back yeah so the, the, they actually found you on the structure platform is that right and mm. yeah so basically I was in the middle of that um yeah, and the sort of sequence of events was that they 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 had lost control of the boat. They were struggling to regain it, uh, but so they they because Dave has only got fifty meters of umbilical and they're two hundred and fifty meters away, he can he can do nothing to help me. Um, but yeah, uh, we had a we had a an ROV, a remotely operated vehicle, you know. One of my, my yeah yeah whatever's going to take my job shortly. He did me a favor <laughs> that much as well, uh, and that had a quite a long tether on it. So they were actually able to get across to me with that, and they sort of got. I also had a beacon on me, so they sort of took range and bearing, and were able to get the ROV back to me. So yeah, if you've seen the film, there's a sort of fairly harrowing footage, and that's the um, that's the moment the ROV finds me in the middle of the structure you know and at that point I'm already I'm already unconscious which is why we'll never really know how long my my bailout lasted because we've only really got my say so which I'm you know which is not trustworthy at all in those circumstances but yeah it finds me and uh so at least I know I'm where I am and that I'm a, you know you know that I still got a helmet on I still had integrity in my helmet which is very important you know that easily could have been ripped off in different circumstances yeah. um you know, and uh, and they were able to, you know, eventually they were able to regain control of the vessel, bring the diving bell back over the top of me. They lowered it right down, and Dave swam down, and um, he sort of clipped himself onto me and pulled me back up to the um, to the bell. Which, uh, if you've seen the film, you know, you can see, you can see how difficult that was. You know, he he is a properly fit guy and very sort of strong upper body, and um, 
you know, he says to me himself, if he hadn't sort of got me on the, the staging post underneath the bell on the last go, he would have had to drop me. He was just exhausted. And, wow. you know, that bell was going up and down four metres or so, five metres almost. And, wow. uh, you know, so it's a real superhuman effort, which obviously I can never, I never really thank him enough for. Yeah, but he yes. sort of then fed me into, fed me into the little hole in the bottom of the bell and just he just sort of fed me up uh, into that and Duncan who'd stayed in the bell was then able to take my helmet off and yeah give me the kiss of life really yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's amazing what the human body can achieve is it under stress and yeah. um, when the power of you know life kicks in and uh, the you know the desire to survive the you know what it can accomplish is uh, very powerful Definitely, yeah, it is. And I think yeah, the point I was making earlier is that, you know, and it's not because I'm special in any physical way, you know, I'm just, just the same as anyone else. And yeah, it's entirely down to that, isn't it? You know, I don't know what yeah. you call it, whatever you want, the human spirit or the just the, yeah, we're just remarkable creatures, really. We all are, you know, that we can. And then you was back in the water doing it all again a few weeks later. Yeah, that's just stupidity, though. That's... <laughs> well, <laughs> that's you've always we... got to get back on your horse. <laughs> yeah, I think it was definitely part of it. Yeah, there was. Um... Yeah, so we were shut down by the uh, the HSE, the Health and Safety Executive, for, for three weeks for good reason. Uh, while they sort of investigated and, and fixed the problem, or so they told us. Uh, yeah, and they gave us the choice to go back. Uh, so we went back as a team of three. But yeah, exactly as you say, and it was just, you know, there's a big part of you just wants to get back on a horse. But, yeah. you know, also, I think in, in those circumstances, I, I certainly I was quite, you know, I was certainly younger than I am now and uh, a little bit naive, I think, to the you know, to what had happened and, you know, subsequently the, the making of the film and things like that was highlighted to me, you know, that it was probably a bigger deal than it felt like at the time. And certainly mm-hmm. it was to other people, you yeah. know, and you realise how much, what an incredible effect it had on other people who had to witness it. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, I think it was probably just the best thing just to get on with it. And you felt kind of disassociated from it, you know, it was such a freak occurrence. And, you know, when I watch the footage of the twitching body and that kind of thing, you know, I don't really look at it thinking, you know, that's me. It seems I'm just wondering if he's going to make it like everyone else, you know, <laughs> it's bizarre. Uh, so you feel, yeah, I feel like a third party. So, yeah, it, I think it also took a long time to sink in, you know. Yeah. What changes uh, What sorry. changes did you make um, after the, afterwards? Well, we made, um, we made a few sort of changes. We learned quite a few lessons that night. Nothing major. I mean, ultimately, you know, there was the sort of the, the failure of the the positioning system which had to be addressed and that was fixed obviously so we changed that but from a diving perspective you know in a weird way it was a success story really you know because yeah. we we got out of you know we extricated ourselves from this seemingly impossible position i say we they they extricated me didn't they um you know so we you know we took a lot of positives from it really you know uh and certainly from a personal point of view we all felt a bit more confident i think in a weird way about what we were doing yeah but yeah we made little changes like we um uh I mean, just because it's a scuba diving podcast, I'll mention this because I wouldn't bore people with it normally. But yeah, so that if you see in the film, I'm kind of twitching a bit. Yeah. Um, mm. So some people thought that might have been oxygen toxicity. And um, just from, you know, re- breathing what was a high partial, pre- fairly high pre- partial pressure of O2. Yeah, that pressure, yeah. For, for a bit of time, yeah. So they reduced that, the, the sort of the legal limit for that down a bit. We added um, sort of lights to our umbilicals just so we get a better visibility. Of That's a good are. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but probably the most fundamental change we made, which had been made at other companies, I have to admit at that point, really, is we switched from 
um, tanks to rebreathers, certainly when we're diving deep. So these days we use a, re- a rebreather system. Wow. Um, we use a cool one called a Cobra, a Cobra rebreather. Yeah, rebreather. That's cool. Um, which is, you know, yeah, it's you, you and you guys. I'm guessing you guys, are, do you do that kind of thing, rebreather, are you? Uh, no, 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 no. no. Yeah, so I've got mixed feelings. I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about it professionally. You know, it's one of those things. Obviously, it's again, it's the future. And, you know, in the same circumstances, I think the rebreather we've got now would have given, would give me something like 45 minutes of gas, you know. Right. Yeah um but there's a lot of moving parts to them isn't there and you know there's a lot of uh a lot of you know there's some argument that you'd rather have 10 minutes of gas you're definitely going to get to one you know i'm probably doing them a disservice you know they're very they're very very good but they're well, still all yeah. choice and opinion sticks. isn't it yeah exactly exactly yeah. right would yeah. glow stick emergency glow sticks have worked so you could have broke them and had a light yeah i mean a lot of the lads will carry torches and stuff but yeah i mean it is I mean, the bottom line is, you know, if I could have seen or couldn't have seen, it wouldn't make any difference. You know, no. there was nothing I could have done. You know, yeah. what could have helped me? Maybe some, you know, we, we talked about having packages of breath- of breathing gas down there that I could have accessed perhaps. Um, but the logistics of that are just too difficult because we move around all the time, you know. Um, yeah, so we've, we've looked at a few things and we have changed little bits and bobs that we learned that night. You know, we've had, you know we sort of made a cultural shift in the way we do our drills. You know, we learned a lot of lessons doing a diver rescue that night. You know, we practice diver rescues all the time, which, you know, I'm sure yeah. you scuba divers do as well. You know, it's something we do very regularly. And, um, and yet we still learned lessons that night and we were saying to ourselves, well, why did it take it happening for real for us to learn those lessons? You know, so, you know, we realized that we probably weren't doing our drills in a realistic enough fashion, you know, because you, you can't equate for every single thing though, can you that's just true yeah that's very true that's very true yeah i mean some things you really will only learn you know fundamentally it all worked and they got me back and yeah survived so you know but you can all there's always scope for learning isn't there so we, yeah. we tried to learn as much as we could but you know ultimately we felt that you know the systems and the procedures and the training that we had in place mm. worked really you know so um yeah it was, you know so it's a rare sort of happy ending story i hope you know? and that's the main um, thing Yes. you know you, you yeah, always come home and that's, yeah, that's it that's what it's all about at the end of the day you know it's all well and good what we do but you know we're all human beings and families and yeah it's the most important thing you know it's no fun if people don't come home is it no, no. and no. has the whole um sort of incident and then the film changed your you and your life yeah, it's been, yeah, I suppose it has in many ways. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, well, it's, it's, it's like 11 years ago now you know, that happened, mm. you know, and, uh, you know, here I'm talking, here I'm talking to you today. So it's, it's yeah, it's been, it's never left me, that's for sure. I still get emails every day and, yeah, they made a film, they're making another film, believe it or not, uh, oh? next year. There's some, yeah, there's a sort of a uh, uh, Hollywood version being made. Oh, who's going to play it, you know? I do. I don't know. I'll probably say it's on the internet. Yes, yeah, so I probably could tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, I'm being played by a guy called Finn Cole, who's uh, in. From I've never seen it, but he's from uh, Peaky Blinders. He's in Peaky Blinders. He's a. Oh, not. And, um... uh, and Woody Harrelson's playing Duncan. So it's got. Wow. It's got Thomas decent. Shelby's brother. That's right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Arthur. Yeah, it comes from the States or something. I still haven't watched it, which I should No, that can't be him then. <laughs> he's a keen diver. He's a keen diver, you see. Yeah. Come from the well, you'll have to get him on your podcast because he's a keen What's his name? Finn Cole. Finn Cole, yeah, he's quite a keen uh so they had someone else lined up to do it. Um I think, but he wasn't he, oh, could, he yes. couldn't really dive, you know. So yeah, they've got uh so there's him and then Dave has been played by a guy called Simu Liu, who's a quick keen diver as well. He's a Marvel star. I don't really watch Marvel films either, but yeah. He's playing Dave, and then yeah, Woody's playing. Uh, oh, Don that's staying in the bell. Yeah, Finn yeah. Cole. He um, yeah, he was in Peaky Blinders for quite a while. He 
played uh uh oh god what's i forget her name now. <laughs> he plays one of the brothers doesn't he yeah yeah I, I, yeah from yeah. he's very nice but i met him i met him in malta they were filming in malta so i went across and met him in a, a very nice guy yeah doesn't look anything like me he's far <laughs> looking he's got a full head of hair but it's a bit of artistic license you know <laughs> yeah. so as a job you're still in the commercial world yeah so I do a bit of everything yeah so I still uh, I stopped actual diving um maybe two two and a half three years ago now mm. I took the decision to start uh, supervising but yeah so I just I still work on the, on dive support vessels I still work quite regularly on the on the topaz which was the boat in the uh, on the night of the incident uh yeah I just got back about three uh, three days ago um so I now, yeah, I now sort of stay in the dry, but I wear a headset and direct the divers and I, you know, try and keep them alive as best I can. And uh, Fair. Yeah, all that sort of things, really, which is great. Yeah, I, I love it, you know. So yeah. you, do you still do, you go into the chamber, do you? Or is No, this no, I, no, I'm much more sociable. Yeah, I stay on the boat. Yeah, <laughs> so I can I can have a cup of tea at night and go to the gym and uh, walk on the helipad. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a bit more civilised. Yeah, yeah. And that was probably for me, you know, I enjoyed the diving and everything, but yeah, probably the living in the chamber got a bit tiresome. Some people will do it their whole careers and that's fine. You know, I've got colleagues yeah. who, done it well into their 60s you know really yeah because that was one of one of my questions is there kind of a lifespan to the career of a sat diver i don't think so no yeah people always assume there will be but there really isn't you know there was sort of some legend of getting bone narcosis if you did it too long you know but i've never ever heard of an actual case of it you know uh it's kind of because you're working on the seabed most of the time rather than swimming you know we wear wellies Mm. nine days out of ten you know it's quite rare you put a pair of fins on and work mid-water it does happen but must be a right plan getting the water days. out of the well, isn't it? We get out and... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah no, get you, in there and all sorts. You get all sorts in there, mud, grit, yeah, it's, it's awful. Uh, no, they're pretty country, nice walking around a pair of wellies, and it's like, a bit like a bit of a spaceman on the bottom. And uh, Yeah, but that means, you know, the, the, a lot of the better divers, because it takes quite a long time to get into it, you know, you have to do so many years in air diving, it takes a long time to get good at it, I think, as well. That, yeah. yeah, it's sort of, I would say the average age is, you know, well into sort of 40s, 50s, yeah. and quite a few in their 60s. And in a weird way, it's quite a healthy way of living. You know, you, although you're living in those chambers, you're out exercising every day and exercising pretty hard some days. Uh, you know, you're, you're not drinking. You're, no pollution. Uh, no. no pollution, good clean air, exactly, yeah. or gas. Yeah, absolutely right, yeah. Probably, I would say the only health consideration is that you don't see sun, you know, you don't get any vitamin D. Mm. And, mm. Um, yeah, and it's like also it's the opposite of altitude training. So because when you're in there for a long period, when you come out, your hemoglobin levels are pretty uh, low because you're breathing quite high oxygen content. You're your blood doesn't bother making as much um, hemoglobin anymore. So you, when you come out, you can suddenly be a bit short of oxygen and stuff, you know, so you, mm. but it takes a few days to go over it. But yeah, no, in terms of longevity of career, they just get very wily as they get older, the divers, you know, much more efficient at being in the water and, you know, they do, <laughs> do things more efficiently, you know, they, they, they box clever. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, oh, that's, and as recreationally, you know, outside of work, do you dive? Not much. Yeah. I probably, I, I weirdly, I, uh, I used to go down for um, uh, scallops and stuff. You know, I got I, had a, I used to live. I don't live there anymore, but I used to live on the west coast of Scotland. I had a rib, and you know, you go and get some scallops and stuff when I had visitors. But I, yeah, I don't really, and not for any. Uh, How do you like I, to cook I, them? It's the old busman's holiday thing, isn't it? I suppose, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's also no one there to rescue me. Yeah, <laughs> a bit garlic uh, but, and some onions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
I don't. Yeah, but I think now I've stopped. I'm, I'm thinking about getting back into it. Yeah, so I live down in the south of France these days, and um, uh, yeah, so I've got the med there, so I might so yeah, a bit warmer water and lakes and mm. stuff. I, yeah. I'm thinking of my. I don't even own any gear. I'm shamefully shame to say I don't own any gear. So I'm gonna. I'll, I'll, I'll get some now. I've spoken to you particularly. I'll, I'll go and <laughs> invest and get on with it. Yeah, I'm probably a terrible scuba diver, you know, because I'm not. Well, all the things, the difficult things about scuba diving, you don't really are not really involved. With, you know, managing yeah. your decompression having really good buoyancy control or that kind of thing you know yeah where's my umbilical cord <laughs> yeah exactly you know i have a lift to get up and down basically you know <laughs> you know i can't run out of gas so you don't have to worry about that you know not wear your boots either you won't get very far no exactly exactly <laughs> so it's funny because we, we spoke to some mine clearance navy guys underwater clearance guys and they didn't they he didn't really like the scuba dive no. oh, really yeah no. <laughs> Well, it's such a different thing, you know, and you'll, often, you'll, you'll find sometimes you'll find sort of commercial divers who sort of, you know, turn their nose up at scuba divers. But I've always been the reverse. You know, I think I think scuba diving is probably harder and certainly more dangerous, I think, yeah. than what we do. You know, I think, you know, ours is so massively controlled and, you know, like masses of teams of people to, to put you down there. And, you know, everything is risk assessed and we have multiple backup systems. You don't have any of that when you're scuba diving. You know, you really are. You're, you're on your own, aren't you? You look yeah. after yourself and. When someone goes, yeah, so I, you know, I, yeah, don't ever take that off anybody. You know, you be proud. It's it's a difficult thing to do scuba diving, and it uh, has its very much has its own dangers, doesn't it? So, and it's also wonderful, but it's also a wonderful thing where you get to see pretty things and yeah. all the reasons we kind of, we, you know, we love the idea of diving, that wonderful sensation of being underwater and seeing things, which you do get on occasion in commercial diving, but mostly you're just lugging sandbags around the seabed, and there's nothing very <laughs> glamorous about that. So, when you're next back in the water. I don't think I will be, yeah, so I don't dive in it, that's it. Yeah, of I, course I, haven't, I haven't dived in anger in about yeah. three years, yeah, so, uh, yeah, whenever I get around to getting a set of scuba, scuba yeah. tanks, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so you, you just work on a cycle, do you, month on, month off? And yeah, yeah, much time yeah, about that, yeah, four weeks on, four weeks off, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so w- what would you say to somebody thinking about commercial diving? Yeah, I, would, I mean, it's, it's commercial diving is, I mean, it's, it's just a... It's a difficult career to get into and uh, again you'll get a lot of naysayers but it's um yeah for me it's been fantastic you know i've loved every minute of it really it's it's been the making of me in in many ways really you know it's given me confidence and shaped my life really you know it's been my whole life really for the last 23 years i guess so um yeah i would thoroughly encourage anyone to go into it you need to be somebody who genuinely is comfortable and likes being under the water mm. but also accept that it's not it's maybe not quite what you envisage it's not it is not swimming with turtles and tickling them under the chin it's it's mainly fancy plumbing really you know <laughs> and it's hard it's pretty miserable uh but it's also very exciting you know it's a really it's a very different way of life you know you, you know as you said i sort of i'm off half of the year which is very lovely in itself and uh you know you definitely go home thinking I, I do something a bit different you know and I'm mm. you, know, you know you learn that it's not quite what you think you know you don't have to be a hero or do anything at all but you feel you know feel some pride in what you're doing I think and yeah so I, yeah I would uh, I would say go for it but you know do your make sure you do your homework because as, as you pointed out earlier on it's not a cheap thing to right. invest in at the beginning you know mm. um don't just go into it on a whim and on the hope you know do your do your homework put some feelers out and uh yeah be, be very sure before you commit because a lot of people think they want to do it and then find actually that the reality is not quite no hoped it would be and it's not really for them you know mm. yeah. yeah and you so get what... to travel the world i guess as well that's another advantage we potentially you do, can you, you do yeah yeah and certainly when you, as an air diver you do that i did that a lot more it was all over the world um 
as a sat diver, you do to some extent, but I mean, I mean I've just been to Trinidad, for example, but there's nothing, basically it's just a ship somewhere else. It's not quite as exciting as it's yeah. It looks pretty much looks the same once you're on the boat. Yeah. But yeah, you get yeah, definitely yeah, we definitely had a few adventures over the years in far flung places, which has yeah been a great a great experience and yeah, a big plus side of the job, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Oh well that's a, so if anybody's thinking about it, yeah. That's a good, yeah, 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 good yeah. advice. Yeah. yeah, get in there before the robots take over. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, what what does get you out of your comfort zone? Well, probably diving. Weirdly, yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm joking, really, but um, I think so at the beginning. Yeah, it was that was not something because I wasn't a diver. That was yes, I think it does must do. I've got sure that's a reason a lot of people do it, isn't it? Because it's that bit mm. of adventure and it does take you outside your comfort zone. Do you think? Yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? You know, it's got a sense of adventure to it. So, yeah, I would probably say that. Yeah, diving. I do quite a bit of public speaking these days as well. And that definitely that, that also takes me out of my comfort zone. I've, I've sort of picked the two things to do for a living now that, <laughs> that, I, that make me nervous. <laughs> so, uh, I just like punishing myself, I suppose. Yeah, but we all do a bit of that, don't we? We like we like being outside of our comfort zones yeah. a bit. Don't we? So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that's good. And it's good to share your story as well with, you know, for the good of other people yeah. I suppose you can apply it in all different aspects of people's lives yeah yeah definitely it's um I mean yeah, I sort of tell in all sorts of contexts you know it's not just industry or diving context you know uh I told it's a pharmaceutical company zip companies you name it really I think it's just one of those things where yeah it's a story that resonates because ultimately it's about people you know it's about as you were saying it's about people and their f- families and and teamwork and you know all those sorts of things yeah. that are are so important in so many you know businesses as well so um yeah it's it's, it's often a good springboard for conversation it's just a, a ripping good yarn really yeah <laughs> yeah, yarn. yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you could take three people diving either recreational or proper commercial diving who would you, you take? warn me about it you warn me about these questions and i've, I've forgotten you were going to ask okay three people three people diving sorry so. yeah if you could take three people diving they don't need yeah. to be divers but the principle of taking them underwater so they could be past uh, present who would you take and why uh, all right oh i know that i know i do that because i've been asked yeah okay uh it's maybe a slightly dull answer but i have this i've had have this fantasy and i've, I've had it for a long time of this little moment when I get to take my uh, little girls scuba diving. So I wouldn't much of advice on that actually as to when you think is an appropriate age to take kids. Cause my girls are seven and three. So probably is too young now, I suspect. Um, but yeah, I have this little dream of, you know, they all know, they kind of know what dad does, you know, but uh, they both love swimming. So I think it's, yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. that's a little moment in my life that I really Swimming and snorkeling is good. Yeah, snorkeling. Yeah, we do. We snorkel now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Certainly, seven-year-old snorkels a lot and loves it. Really comfortable, which is good. A good sign. Hopefully, she's really comfortable yes. doing that, and she loves being when she swims. She's always under the water. Yeah. So yeah, I've had this little fantasy that that moment that we'll get to do that. You know, the thing that I do for a living. Seal with team. It. Say again. Paddy seal team is good as well when they get. Um, your oldest would be fine, but yeah, once your youngest one gets a little bit older, seal paddy. team in the pool. Okay, okay, yeah. I don't see. I don't. I don't even have a paddy. It's, it's terrible. I need to get that rectified as well. <laughs> the reason I don't go diving is like I've turned up. I have turned up at a dive site on holiday before, and they won't. They won't. They refuse to rent me anything. <laughs> I've got. I've got. I've got these bits of paper, no, no. All these commercial tickets. <laughs> I've shown the film. You know now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, okay, so Paddy Seal Team. Okay, I'll look into it, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, I've probably mine sort of started taking his little girl in a pool about eight and then maybe, what, Paddy, when you're about 
10, 12? Would that, yeah. would that uh, well, right? my daughter's just done hers at 13. 13, that sounds yeah. like a reasonable and, age, yeah. You know, some people do take them younger. Yeah. I think it really depends. I, I think because yeah. um, it's not just the diving, as you know, it's, it's taking it all in as well, you know. Yeah, um, taking it in, not being scared. Don't want, you want to be a pleasure. And yeah. also you need to be able to react to an emergency, don't you? So you do need a certain level of, of maturity, I suppose, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So, yes, when they're ready, the girls. And you say three, did you? So I need a third. Another two, yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got two girls. Yeah, two girls. I'm counting that's two. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, well, we'll take, uh, well, what we'll do is we'll take uh, Dave with me as well because I need rescuing occasionally. So it's it's good to have <laughs> Dave Uassa. We'll have Fresh Dave Uassa hand. To, to hand to save the other three of us. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. yeah. And he's an instructor. Perfect. Done. He can, uh, he can teach them. There you go. <laughs> so last question mm. um we're going to give you a billboard with uh you can put anything on it that you like so a video a picture an image a statement anything you like but mm. the whole world is going to see it and you're going to put some kind of message on it what are you going to put on it well, that's pretty deep okay uh, uh... Well, I think I have to be something water related, wouldn't it? Considering the the present company, uh, I would write something on a billboard like uh, just simple. We how about we are what are we? We are sixty percent water. That's what I'd write on a billboard. There you go. Yeah, we are sixty percent water. It tells its own story, doesn't it? Water yeah. precious. We need to look after it. We need to manage it. We need to manage it. So look after it. Which I'm sure it's something you discuss in your podcast a lot, isn't it? So yeah, there you go. And I'll probably stick my website underneath it just because I'm always after a buck. <laughs> why not yeah no they're great 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 answers to the questions <laughs> and you know different ones again because we always yeah. like yeah guess saying different people yeah. they're diving with yeah we've had some yes yeah, really good answers recently better ones than that i bet yeah <laughs> <laughs> everyone's different yeah it's good everybody's got a personal spin on it which is the yeah. main thing yeah. okay that's good yeah so if people want to know more about you where is the best place for them to follow you find you Oh, that's very kind. Yeah, um, yeah. So I have a website which is just uh, chrislemons.co.uk, and that's sort of that's because I sort of, as I said, do this do public speaking more and more these days, which I really enjoy doing, and it's, yeah, love to be able to go and tell people the story. So, uh, be very welcome to look on there. Yeah, and I can be found on on uh, yeah Facebook and LinkedIn. Really, yeah, they can you can just look me up on yeah. there. So, always glad to take questions and and speak to people on any of those platforms. Yeah. Great. So if any of our listeners to the podcast, they can uh, drop you a message and uh, yeah, hopefully. 100%, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, that's been really good. And uh, yeah, sort of great to get a little insight into the commercial side of things. And yeah. also, yes, your yeah. your infamous incident. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. and we'll put a link to the, obviously the film. You know, we've, we've watched it recently and uh, yeah. it's a... Uh, it's definitely a good one to watch. It's very gripping. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of an emotional uh, roller coaster, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, for me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, hopefully a, a one off, and that's yes. It. Yeah, we don't want last yeah. breath too, that's for sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's been really good, and thank you for your time. And, yeah, uh, thanks for coming yeah, on. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's always, um, you know, it's always nice to talk to nice people. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's very kind of you. No, thanks yeah. for coming on. Thanks for giving us your time. Yeah. No worries, anytime. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thanks, right, Chris. Chris. I'll let you get on with it. You're your welcome. Evening. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much. And it's been okay. lovely to meet yeah, you. Yeah. Thanks for your time, Chris. Thank you very much. No worries. Nice to meet you both too. Yeah. All right. Bye, Bye then. Bye. See you. Take care. Bye-bye. Excellent. That was really good, wasn't it? Yeah. Amazing. And yeah, not just about 
the last breath film but about you know his career and yeah just him as well which is yeah really good so yeah, yeah, yeah. quite a fun character yeah and you know um I know it was a while ago now, but you know, he he looks fine, and he's you know he talks <laughs> uh, really positively about the the whole experience, don't he? You know, yeah, yeah, and um, yes, yeah, uh, you know, amazing, really. You know, to think what he got through and survived it, mm. and also about bringing the commercial diving to the forefront, because how many people would even consider sat yeah. diving, or even yeah, know exactly. what it is as well? Yeah. 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 So I mean, it obviously takes a certain character. Probably it's not something I think you'd you have to know. I don't think that would suit anyone. Just no. anyone, definitely not. And I think he's right. I think you know, initially you think maybe the diving's the toughest bit, but it probably isn't. No. It's cooped up. You you know you you're cooped up in quite a small environment with lots of people. Some of them you know you're going to gel with. Some of them you won't. And even for people you gel with, being in a small environment for so long is, you know, that's tough. Yeah. It's a bit like going, you know, into a space station, isn't it? You can't get off. You can't go home. But doesn't it say, doesn't it say again about how tough that environment is? Mm. And I thought, you know what, you made a really good point. Um, you know, people would make it back from the moon faster than it would take someone hundred meters come back up like that. Yeah. And again, it relates to we know more about moon and the space than we do the untapped yeah. parts of our oceans. Yeah, definitely. And you know, you think about what our conversation with Abby Barnes and she was talking about going up the hills and mountains. Well, a hundred meters is nothing mm-hmm. in, in in relation to so the hundred meters, meters in the North Sea. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. Especially when, you know, it doesn't always go to plan. Mm, uh, yeah, but hopefully, you know, make some people think and appreciate what their job role involves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then there's diving, you know, diving is, um, you know, a sport and it's also a means of, of work and, mm. uh, you know, a, a way of earning a living. Mm. And there are risks. You know what? Unless you just stay on the sofa, you know. And I'm sure, you know there are risks in most stuff, but you you know they're manageable risks. They're try you know just where you rely on your training uh, and everything else that goes into all this stuff. And you know they, I'm sure with what with what he does, there's loads of training. And well, he said that, didn't he? About and all the- health and safety mm-hmm. stuff, and it just goes on. Yeah, but it's a very controlled environment oh, to some be. extent. Got yeah, be. yeah, got safer than scuba diving. <laughs> That's funny, <laughs> which is well, which is true because he's got people looking after him, you know, on the surface to yeah. some extent. But then he's at depth. The trouble is with scuba diving. Is is I, I what is, is I would say is you know I guess some people don't realise and don't appreciate the risks with scuba Mm. diving and you know as they just think that you can do certain things and just come back and and probably don't appreciate some of the risks no um you know and we but we're in the commercial world because all the boxes have to be ticked and there's fail safes in place there's 
documents in place and things like that. Yeah, there is research teaching, diving, but for two people just going to go and jump in the water and in the sea, mm. or you know, if, if solo diving in the in the sea, yes, you know, right. then um, the what risks, you know, what controls are there? Mm. You know, minimal, really. Letting somebody know, phone, call the coast guard. Make yeah. sure you've got everything, and hopefully, people, especially if they're diving on their own, got you know Back some up. kind of con- contingency, whether mm-hmm. it's a pony bottle, whether it's spare mask, and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's um, you know it's a tough environment, but it's the one you know that basically helps make the world tick, isn't it? You know, yes, well, it's, yeah, it's all progress, isn't it? And we all need to get jobs done, and he's one of the men that helps get those jobs done underwater. Really impressed with how well he talks about the whole situation, yeah. you know, and um, it was, you know, it's, it wasn't a doom and gloom conversation. It's a very yeah. positive. This is what happened. And, you know, and uh, hey, I'm still here. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's good that, that that's, he's got quite a positive outlook on it. And, uh, yeah. and yeah. And that shouldn't put anyone off from, making inquiries and finding more about out about the job well everybody's got a choice haven't they you either yeah. look into it or you don't so it's yeah. for you yeah. or it's not no no it's true it's yeah. true no very good so i want to say thank you very much to chris yes for thank coming you, chris. On. yeah very good yeah, and uh cool. yep i think he's probably is he one of our first or not we haven't had many commercial divers on have we not uh, Phil short comes to mind um he is cannot. he a sat diver uh he's commercial diver i'm not sure if, he does, if no, he's i think this maybe might be our first actual sat diver with potentially potentially mm. marie um i'm just thinking whether the mine clearance guys potentially yeah. maybe may it's another uh, thing to on, put on our depending on what they do. Guests. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to think of anyone we spoke to who we know definitely has. And probably not. No, it's quite a specialist role. Yeah. But anyway, that was if you've got any questions, either point them our way or uh, contact Chris directly. I think he'd be uh welcome any inquiries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with that. And if you uh, haven't watched Last Breath, I yes. Yeah, definitely look <laughs> yes. at that. Yeah, definitely look at that. It's not one of these diving movies that Hollywood churn out. And no. So while we're talking about commercial diving, we should also mention our good friends at Nartor90.com. Mm. If you've got a rebreather or if you are looking for getting into technical diving or some description and you're thinking, hey, I need to uh, get some um, things serviced or looking for another shear water or you're looking for shear water protector they've got all that type of um kit just got to go on their website or give them a call yes yeah or if you've got any questions about if you're building your own rebreather or you've got a rebreather if you've got any questions they're the people to pick up the phone and ask yeah yeah and got uk stock as well which is good yes yeah and it this applies to anybody worldwide they deal with worldwide customers say and yeah. they can ship uh pretty much anywhere yeah and if you see us about um especially you know if we're at the waterside anything like that and you see the flag hoisted aloft um we carry some shear waters for 
people to try and use. There's Shearwater computers, this is. yes. Yeah, Shearwater computers. Um, and we've got some in stock that people can have a go, have a dive, see if they like them. And then we have a discount voucher for it. So if you want to buy one, we can give you a discount voucher on how to you know, order one from night at 90. Yep. So keep an eye on our social media because we'll always say when we're going to be diving next. So yeah. you can look out for the flag, come and see us and pick up your slap straps for your mask. And, oh, yeah. Uh, hmm? oh, yeah, the free uh, slap straps. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we'll have discount vouchers and yeah, the, the sheer water computers if you want to take them underwater to give them a go. Yeah, we do have some terms and conditions which will yeah. run Sign through. Life away. Yeah. And um, but yeah, basically go and have a dive and see if you like it. Exactly. Yeah. And if you'd like to listen to some more episodes, we if you're new to the podcast, there are 160 plus episodes to listen to wow. with a whole variety of different guests from around the world. So have a have a peruse and uh, yes, start listening. Yep. That's the one to do. So <laughs> keeping you up. <laughs> I know. It's been a long day. <laughs> um yeah and if you've got any questions for us recommendations for guests pop us an email or dm on our social media and we're always happy to hear from you absolutely always send us an email or send us a message we're on all the platforms so uh, or a recipe we we, we, choice (laughs) or a recipe yeah fish recipe yeah (laughs) i'm not saying anything about how you cook a scallop gets me in trouble <laughs> there you were giving Chris Lemon advice about scallops. Yeah, he said it, not me. <laughs> send you send your letters of complaint to him, not me. <laughs> yeah, we like yeah, all sorts of letters. We always have a giggle. So yeah, pass them our way. <laughs> anyway, well, I think that's about it, isn't it? I think Let's it is. Have some dinner. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Uh thanks for sticking with us. And as Gemma said, um, you know, if you listen to this one, you like that, go back. There's a whole load. So uh, there's a big choice there. So uh, do that. But for right now, I'm going to say thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And this was the Big Scuba Podcast. (laughs) See you later. Now that does wrap up today's episode of the Big Scuba Podcast. But. If you want to hear more from the podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button depending on what platform you are listening on. That way you will never miss an episode from us. But if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and did enjoy what you heard today, we would really appreciate it if you head to the show page to leave a five star rating and review. It really does help us. If you do, please take a screenshot of that review and send it to us on Instagram and we'll give you a shout out to say a big thank you. If you have any questions for us or anything that has been mentioned in today's episode, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email. The links are in the show notes. We will get back to you no matter what. If you have made it to this point in the episode, we both want to say a big, big thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.